Hello, friends. I'm Deeg. This is my podcast, and it's 2022. Time for a little Q&A to start off the year. I hope everyone is doing really well in this change of the calendar, this arbitrary advancement of this way that we measure the passage of time that somehow seems to take on such significance in all of our lives. And I'll, I'm not going to—I'll be honest. It's, it has felt of some significance to me. Um, the podcast has been going for uh, just under two years. We'll hit our two-year anniversary, I think, any day now. Or perhaps we already have. I can't remember when the first one was published. Um, it started off as a, as a project to find meaning in gaming where I was not grasping for it. And I suppose in many ways it still is. Um, video games and life. And uh, today um, I've put out the call to toss all your questions at me, any topic, life, gaming, um, whatever floats to mind. Uh, you know, the art of asking the good question is always a good thing to practice. And uh, we have a, a bunch to answer today. And without any further ado, I am going to get into it. First up, we have Kai, producer Kai. Kai asks, you seem to play a lot more PC games these days, but you've mentioned previously that you played N64 games growing up. Was that your first experience with video games or were there others? At what point did you start transitioning away from console gaming and into PC gaming? And do you have any guilty pleasures or secret favorites that you don't think people would expect you to play? This is a fun question. Um, See, so yeah, the history for me was... Uh, grew up with a um, the original Nintendo in the household. Um, I very I have these very vague memories of flailing around on the Nintendo trackpad, the, the the track and field like mat that you plugged into the system and you put on the floor in front of the TV and trying to get it to work, and it just never never fucking worked. <laughs> and that went into Super Nintendo, and I enjoyed that. But um, for me, N64 was the beginning of um, real gaming. And um, I remember when I first started to hear about the new Nintendo console um, in 95 and 96, I would have been like 12 or 13 years old. And I was just learning how to use the internet to get around. And in the mid-90s, there wasn't a lot on the internet to find. I remember there, was, there were a few fan sites for N64 news, and I would just refresh those every single day, hoping for new information. It was all screenshots being published. And it all it all started because I stumbled into a Toys R Us um, at that age and into a Mario 64 demo. And I held this weird-ass N64 controller in my hands. And then I navigated around a 3D world. And it was the first time I'd ever controlled a character in a 3d world on a 2d screen and something about it like it like i could feel like the plasticity in my brain somehow resisting this somehow trying to embrace this paradigm of worlds and the idea that worlds could exist like inside of screens because all the old 2d the old 2d games that i played the side scrollers they never felt that way but this that felt unique and that was how um, I got into N64. Um, I played all the classics for that console. And I think the transition point, to answer one of the 
a handful of questions disguised as one kind. Clever. Uh, is that I um I was really into Goldeneye 007. Um, I would play it with my brother and a couple of our neighbors who um, were went to the same school that we went to. And so we would get this two, three, four player uh, multiplayer deathmatch Goldeneye going. We just play all day. And, uh, you know, no odd job was allowed because that was bullshit. Um, License to kill pistols on complex. I think that was the favorite mode for for us. And uh, that that love of that experience i think got me curious about fps's on um on on um computers because i somehow learned or stumbled into the knowledge that that the true experience for first person shooters is the mouse and keyboard not the controller um probably talking to some friends at school some of the my, my nerdy friends or reading something on an n64 fan site anyway so I asked for and got in the Christmas of 1999, Half-Life 1, Unreal Tournament, and Quake 3. And I installed them on the family computer. And over the next year and a half, I just bottomed those games out. Now, the sad part of the story is that at this point in my life, <clears throat> uh, much like almost every other household in the United States, we did not have broadband internet. We had dial-up. So that meant playing Quake 3 was basically out. I basically didn't get to play Quake at all because the only way to play that game is multiplayer. And the only way to play that multiplayer was on a LAN connection or a broadband connection. So that was out. Unreal Tournament had really cool custom bot matches that I played right up to the point where I could beat most of the modes against godlike AI. And then at that point, I was like, okay, what's next? I played Half-Life. I went right for the multiplayer stuff and I found Team Fortress Classic. And Team Fortress Classic was the game that that um I it was kind of like my my gamer coming of age game where I first found a community and started playing with a bunch of other people and getting to know people by playing video games, people who I never met before. And uh most of my gaming experiences are still compared today against some of the really great days of Team Fortress Classic. Um, as for any guilty pleasures, um, oh yeah, and I and I guess I guess what's implied there is I kind of after the N sixty four and after playing all those first person shooters, I just I never went back to playing console games. Really, I think my brother had a GameCube and I would play it occasionally, but I I basically was a uh, the way my attention works. I only wanted to focus on one thing at a time and. I decided PCs. That's the thing. Uh, guilty pleasures or secret favorites. I don't think people would expect me to play. Um, hmm. Let me think about this for a second. See, the thing with me is I often take the, make, take the decisions of playing video games too seriously. I don't get to experience a lot of things as a result. So what would I call a guilty pleasure? I guess the closest thing to a guilty pleasure that I have, and it's mainly because it happens totally offline where no one else can see it, is a couple of years ago, my wife bought me a Switch for Christmas and I got uh, Breath of the Wild. 
which is an incredible game that I'm a little ashamed to admit I have not completed. Um, I've gotten all four of the Divine Beasts down, but uh, finishing it at that point didn't seem very meaningful. So, uh, yeah, that's something that happens offline and off screen. Um, oh, oh, I can think of one more thing. Okay. Um, Nintendogs. No, limit <laughs> to Nintendogs. Okay, here, there are a couple things. Um, oh, man. This is going deep in the well. So there was a period of my life between, like, 2011 and 2015 where I basically wasn't doing any gaming at all. And that's the period of my life where I was uh, really seriously um, working on and uh, my relationship with my then-girlfriend, now wife, and we were starting to live together. And uh, for the so in order to do that, I had to move overseas to Europe because that's where she was studying music and I wanted to be with her. So I made that crazy decision to go and there was no room for my gaming PC there. I sold all my shit, bought a gaming laptop. Uh, no, sorry, I bought a laptop, not a gaming laptop. And uh, yeah, I basically had a few years of when I wanted the game, I would play Minecraft on the laptop or um, I would play uh, phone games because um, that, that was when I first got my first smartphone. Um, and the one game I remember playing for hours and hours on my smartphone was... Uh, let me see if I can find the name of it. Star Traders. Star Traders game. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Kai, big Zelda fan. Let's go. Shuffle. Games are just too long. Just give me a great eight-hour experience. I'm sympathetic with that. Totally sympathetic. Yeah, it was a game called Star Traders, which is like this, um, uh, like a strategic, uh, kind of 4X exploration, trading, combat, like, be a spaceship dude game. And, uh, that was a fun, guilty pleasure at a time where part of the reason it was a guilty pleasure is because, um, before I introduced my wife to Guild Wars 2 at the start of 2015, she was completely on the gaming haterade bandwagon. She didn't understand why anyone would waste would waste their time playing a video game. She suspected that most people who played video games had some kind of addiction and were something like you know just couldn't be good people. You know, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect, but um, there wasn't a lot of room to talk about the gaming and when we were first starting out our relationship. Um, thankfully, I changed her mind, but. Yeah, Star Traders and Minecraft were the guilty pleasures during that time. Okay, I guess that's the answer to that multi-part question. We'll see if they're all as long and multifaceted as this. <laughs> Robot Geek. Have we banished the robots? Are we good? Good now. Yeah, I think we're good. Y'all are so well-trained. If that happens again, stop me in my tracks. That was gorgeous. That was beautiful. 
I'll reread the question in case it got cut off by the chop. Joey Logano react to Zach Stacy video? I don't know what that means. Okay, we're good. Back again from the top, shall we? Anoth asks, Top X games you want to like, but you haven't been able to get into. Serious, why are you so likable? Starting with the first one. There are definitely some games that I like and respect and would like to get into, but for me, I, I, they just never tracked. Um, actually, this goes way back for me. Real-time strategy games. So, um, I remember, I can remember very clearly in my... When would this have been? I think it was during my college days. Um, when I was home on break or during the summers, um, I would watch my brother play Age of Empires. And um, I had the... I just got the biggest hoot watching him play that game. Uh, all the little voice touches and the art and just the the, the grand scale of it. Um, and also you can extrapolate from that to some extent of like some kind of 4X games and games like Civ and um, another, another genre of games that I've always respected but never been able to get into is like isometric RPGs. I think that there's something about about having a first or third person embodied point of view in a video game that is somehow essential for me to enjoy enjoy the experience to feel like i'm actually in the world i'm not sure i understand why um but i've, I've hunted for an explanation for a long time of why i can never stick with these games it could be i'm just too dumb for them like it's possible these are strategy games um and perhaps I'm not patient enough for them. I am, you know, uh, I've been diagnosed with ADHD, so there's that possibility. But I really think that there's something about having that a certain point of view that gets me interested um, and makes me feel connected to what's happening that I don't get otherwise. Um, and now, of course, uh, in 2022, there's another problem, not just the 3D problem or the, the first-person, third-person problem, but there's the problem of so many great fucking games. Uh, there are too many good games being released these days. I was streaming the other day, and um, some Planet Side, which is a game that I love, um, always loved, going back to the first one, I remember playing the Planet Side 1 beta back in like 2002 or three or something. And... Uh, Rel, the uh, the lead designer of Planet Side Two, was dropping by, and we were chatting about how um, hard it is for games to find an audience, and how audiences can be so fickle, and how there's so much competition for attention these days in this space. As a, as a game consumer, it's a beautiful place to be in um, in a lot of ways, but it means that there are so many great experiences that it's hard to make time for. Um, something that I've only just now been able to make time for is a game that's been on my radar for months and months, and that's Outer Wilds. A charming and incredibly fascinating experience. Also, what's up, Aaron uh, Barnath? How's it going? Good to see you. Uh, I think I need to reposition the chat on this layout. Anyway, Kai says, isn't ADHD good for the micro 
pad that APM? You would think so, right? And also, I can I can muster a incredibly uh, uh, incredible acts of attention for games that I feel engaged with. Um, but there's something about what it what is required for that engagement to manifest that I don't entirely understand yet. And I think there's some kind of correlation to whether I'm looking down on the action or whether I'm over the shoulder or in the eyes of the action somehow. Uh, if you guys ask uh, good questions during during the podcast, what I'll try to do is copy them into a little notepad here and get to them at the end. Uh, so let me actually get that going. Because Aaron just asked a really cool question. I don't want to miss that. Okay. But I'm not done with Adolf yet. Um, so there's some examples of games I haven't been able to get into. And uh, why am I so likable? You're asking this seriously. You said serious. So I'm going to give you a serious answer. Um... I think I got a lot of attention when I was way too young. Sorry, not too young. When I was extremely young. Um, my mother and our family have always been very close with my mom's sisters and my mom's brother's families. And at the same time, all three of those couples were very closely connected with my grandparents. Um, you know, my mom's parents and obviously her siblings' parents, and uh, all started making families around the same time. And I was the first one to cross the finish line. I was the first one to make it out into the world. And my aunts and uncles and my parents and my grandparents all gave me a fuckload of attention right from the day I was born. Now, I started having siblings and cousins being born from the next year or two pretty quickly, but I think there's something about that. Um, it's just a hunch. I don't know for sure. So the desire to please people, the desire to be liked by people is something I've always felt very, very strongly. And I grew up with three younger siblings. Um, um, and uh, my mother was a choir director. And so I got the chance to perform in choirs all through my growing up. So I got comfortable with kind of being on stage and being in front of people. And I don't know, like it, it's something like that, I think. Um, also, I just really care about what people think. I always have. I'm so curious about people's lives, both inner and outer. And I think that, um, I think that it's really hard to care about people. And one of the things I've always tried to get better at is finding ways to care about people. You know, loving my wife has been one of those experiences where you learn that it's not enough to just feel the love, but you have to get better at showing it. I'm always working on doing better at that. And I love y'all. Seriously. Ain't enough got ADHD and you like RTSs. Anyway, I hope that answer leads to some satisfaction. Uh, that's the best, that's the closest answer I have. Um, but if you were asking it not seriously, I would say it has something to do with my gorgeous gob, obviously. Next question. Friendly Henry, the friendliest of Henrys. 
gonna pop the question. What is in the works for 2022? Henry, I cannot give you a simple answer to this because, uh, okay, okay. Let's, let me rewind that. Two parts to this. Um, of course, I'm working on interviews. Y'all love my interviews. I love my interviews. I need to do these interviews. Um, and as soon as I know when those are going to happen, y'all will know when they're going to happen. They, I put them up in the Discord, so that's the best place to keep track of that. But at any given time, there are conversations happening behind the scenes with people. Sometimes it takes weeks or months in order to work something out, even if both parties are mutually interested. And sometimes there are externalities that, that me mean that things have to be delayed a certain amount. So one of the things I'm, I'm really hoping to have happen this year, for example, is um, uh, y'all will uh, probably remember a lot of the Guild Wars 2 developer interviews that I did at the, uh, in the middle of 2021. And you might remember that those kind of stopped happening around the same time ArenaNet started making their big marketing push for End of Dragons. So I'm hopeful that I'll be able to have some of those folks back or some new folks on once things die down after the End of Dragons marketing blitz. But uh, never can guarantee these things. I would certainly love to talk to some of those folks. Um, actually, uh, Tom Abernathy, um, one of my favorite interviews that I've done. He was the studio narrative director at ArenaNet uh, last year. And he just uh, moved on to another company. I think he's joining Bungie. And I, I, I think he's going to work on Destiny. Um, and a bunch of ArenaNet folks have moved on to work on Destiny, another game that... I have, uh, well, I have appreciated, let's put it that way. So I can find so many cool questions to ask these people, and I hope those do happen. Um, last year, the expansion to my interview uh, portfolio was to go from mainly focusing on streamers to focusing more on developers. And um, I think this year, um, the the main thing I'm, I'm trying to do with interviews is just keep keep doing them. Just keep doing them. And I'm not trying to put too much pressure on myself about what kind of path they take or whatever. That's a bit of meta-commentary. It's kind of hard to understand. It would be probably nauseating for me to get into. But there's some amount of um, uncertainty and, let's say, stage fright when it comes to actually inviting people to come on that I have to get over every time. Okay, so that's interviews. Um, Okay, and uh, I guess I talked about Guild Wars a little bit. Um, Plant Side is about to have a, a re release of a new continent, and I think around the time that happens, I'll be talking to uh, Rel, the lead designer of Planet Side again. And um, I may also uh, uh, do some more Planet Side related content around that time. But uh, TBD, and uh, based on everyone's schedules and availability. In terms of non interview content, uh, yeah, I have a few things that are on tap, and I'm not going to kind of go into detail about all of them, but um, I think that last year there was um, a sort of realization that I had that I really liked focusing on the thing that happens after the video game, right? You have the video game, you have the gaming experience, and then you have something that layers on top of that, that goes somewhere, that has a greater meaning. I think that's true. I really do. But I also think that a laser focus on that put so put, I ended up putting so much pressure on myself to do these really five head uh, po podcast topics that I ended up kind of psyching myself out a bit. So 
I'm going to let myself, I think, relax a little bit on my topic selection this year for the solo podcast that I do. This is an example of a Q&A. And um, a handful of things that, that kind of come to mind is um, I uh, watched Dune. Uh, and I think I'm probably going to do some kind of a con some kind of content around Dune, both the movie and the book that it's based on, because I love both. Um, Wheel of Time. Uh, Amazon recently put out uh, uh, a TV version of the first book of the 14-book fantasy series, um, which I have loved in the past, and I enjoyed the TV show, and I probably want to talk about that. Uh, so, you know, not, not strictly gaming philosophy but maybe uh, uh, something a little more um, indulgent. But um, what else? Oh, um, I think I'll probably cover this on... I think there's another question that kind of gets to this too, but I, uh, I had a change in the way I think about video games and my play habits at the end of the year, and I think I'm going to do a, a, a dedicated discussion about that because it's kind of important. And a lot of what I'm going to be focusing on hinges on it. Um, but because I'm doing a piece of content on it dedicated, I'm not going to get into it, all the details right now. Beyond that, I'm on YouTube. I'm pretty sure that my days on Twitch are numbered. And if you search around for why reasons why, why creators are moving from Twitch to YouTube, you can see a lot of the reasons that kind of help me make my decision. Um, I like Twitch. I think it's a really cool platform. But the discoverability there is just ass. And... I, um, the upsides to YouTube seem unambiguous. One of them, I get to stream at a higher bit rate, which I'm doing right now. So that's cool. And, uh, yeah, that's all that comes to mind. <laughs> Thanks for the question there, Henry. Next question. Okay. This is from Atomic. Root, who always leaves me amazing comments on my YouTube videos. Thank you, brother. Where can we find recordings of your barbershop quartet days? But in all seriousness, just wanted to leave a comment to say thanks for a great year of content. Your interviews are second to none, and I love seeing sides to devs, community members, etc. that I never knew existed. As long as it still brings you joy, long may it continue. What a lovely, lovely thing to say. Thank you, Fruit. Um, and because you were asking in jest about the barbershop quartet days, I will reply in jest, uh, that, uh, uh, actually, no, I actually am going to give a serious reply to this. Um, I think there may be some barbershop court, uh, recordings floating around. And if you harass me on discord, I might send you a link. Um, nothing I'm super proud of or anything. Um, we were not, uh, fit to be heard on the internet, in my opinion, but. We were fit to be heard around uh, the backwoods of New Hampshire. And that's what we did. Uh, those were fun days. And if we get to a point in 2022 where the pandemic loosens up enough, where I feel like I can be in a room with people opening their mouths for hours, I want to sing again. I miss singing. It used to be a huge part of my life. I you know, mentioned my, my uh, being a choir boy. And uh, I miss those things a lot. Hey, have a good night, Anof. Thanks for dropping by, and thanks for the question. Shuffle, you has terrible discovery. Uh, that's a question that that that, that we we could sidebar on if you want to. Shuffle. Um, there's more to it than that for my YouTube decision, uh, or 
as far as I have decided. Um, but it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, what's the, I, I once heard a critique of, I once heard a, the word nerd described as, uh, you know you're a nerd if you are a person on a telephone, using a telephone to talk to someone else about telephones. <laughs> and something about that statement has always horrified me. So I try not to be a streamer talking to people about streaming too much. Let's go to the next question. <sighs> Nick Best asks, what daily rituals bring you the most joy? What a lovely question. Okay. I can think of three things. I do these honestly every single day. They work for me every single time I do them. And they're, they're quite flexible in some ways. Number one, coffee. Every day. Uh, caffeine is essential for me to wake up because I'm addicted to it. And beyond that, beyond that there's a certain... Um, one of the things I learned about ADHD... Um, it being a sort of deficit of executive function, which is primarily governed by a certain part of your brain, is that one of the best ways to spin up that part of your brain is by flooding it with stimulants like caffeine. Caffeine is one of the main and best ways I have found to cope with ADHD, lack of focus. I'm usually quite caffeinated when you see me here live. Um, so there's a certain uh, functional, even medical expedient to that. But beyond that, a warm cup of coffee sweetened just enough is a beautiful thing. And my one regret about my coffee ritual is that so often it's done on the go, on the fly, on a conference call, and I can't take the time to enjoy it. One of the things that I did a lot during uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's when I was off of work is I would take my morning coffee on our couch in the living room with a little bit of light music and a book. No internet, no stim, no, uh, no work-related stuff. I wasn't trying to be productive while I was enjoying my coffee, and that really was nice. So that's one. Um, another daily ritual that I always try to do that brings me joy is I move my body. Uh, this is a lesson that I learned very well a few years ago when my wife finally convinced me to start going to the gym with her, and I ended up losing a whole bunch of weight. Um, Eventually, it got too expensive to pay trainers, and that habit fell off and our gym closed. But in the last six months, I've started going for at least a walk every single day, and I don't push it. I don't try to go for long walks. I don't try to walk or run hard. I just try to get out every single day. Um, and it is such a help to stabilizing my mood and giving me time for my mind to relax. There's something about a the, the immediate focus of doing something physical that is not not very uh, mentally demanding that lets that 
gives your mind and your body a chance to refresh. And I never really understood that before. Um, and I've come to really look at, look forward to those walks. And a lot of times when something's going wrong with my day, the best way to just reset it is just to put on my headphones and get out and just get out. So I always take myself out for a walk. Uh, I don't think I've missed a day in a long time. Also helps you sleep if you get in some physical activity every day. And that's a big one. Uh, a third daily ritual, which would surprise no one, would be conversation. Uh, I think you'd also could describe this as like connection, something like that. There's something about contact with your fellow human that is um, so important to me. I think to most people, but definitely to me. And it doesn't always have to be like me sharing my thoughts like this. It doesn't have to be an interview. It doesn't have to be. It can be, it can be so much. It can be a, a five-minute conversation with my wife. It could be me listening to a podcast. Um, it could be uh, just, in, 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 just w enjoying a good back-and-forth like written discussion on uh, I would say Reddit, but Reddit's not usually a great place for this. Occasionally it can happen, but reading something very interesting sometimes that, that you can really tell came from a person. Uh, so coffee, a walk, and a conversation. And the cool thing about that is sometimes I combine all three of those things. And those are usually really good days. What about you? I would love to hear from y'all about what your daily rituals bring you the most joy? What a great question. Shuffle is pointing out that nicotine is also a really amazing for people with ADHD and Tourette's. I've heard that. I've heard that. I don't know much about it. I never really smoked. Okay. Just recording a question for later. That's your question, Sosma. Okay. Thank you, Nick, for that question. Next question. Okay. Here's a question from Hermuts. Uh, what are your plans to better protect the game from cheaters? Hint. Hashtag flying max unit. There's a, there's a couple questions that I got that I think... Um, may have uh so when i put out the call for questions one of the people who amplified that signal was rao the lead game designer of planet side i think it's possible that there were some people who saw his retweet and thought that it was him asking for questions because you see i have no plans to better protect planet side 2 from cheaters because i have no agency to do so <laughs> uh one of the real horrifying tragedies of free-to-play video games that are competitive is cheating, right? Whenever there's no paywall to go into those experiences, um, you can have sessions of hundreds of players ruined by people who cheat. In fact, I had to deal with a cheater in Planet Side 2 the other day. It really sucks. Um, and it makes you scratch your head and ask, why isn't there something being done about this? I think... An answer to that is that it's not easy, um, but 
that's certainly not the whole answer. Anyway, that's a problem and it sucks, but I got no plans to do anything about it. Rel, if you're listening to this, if you can throw us a bone. Okay, getting some more questions coming in. Uh, Aaron, I'm writing down your question. Shuffle. Smoking is the worst form of nicotine consumption. There's a much better, safer delivery system. I, I believe it. I believe it. That's related to the question about daily rituals and the role of caffeine as a way to treat ADHD. ADHD is definitely a theme you, um, on, on, in my content you'll hear more about. No one asked me about ADHD, though, interestingly enough. Anyway, progressing. Steve C., when fishing? I think this is another one of those thinking on the lead uh, Planet Side 2 designer things. Uh, so Planet Side 2 is having a new continent being released in a few weeks called Osher. And it's introducing a new gameplay feature, which has never been a part of the, part of the game, where you can actually go into water and fight in water. And it's, it's kind of like this big water continent. And for the first time, the hover tanks... Um, can actually start now hover over water, which is people have been wanting for a long time. It was actually, funnily enough, a feature of Planet Side 1, the game that preceded Planet Side 2. And with the introduction of water content, the question is, when's fishing? And I actually, I think, put out a tweet when I read the news saying, I would love to fish in Planet Side 2. Uh, I think that'd be really, that would be a, a fucking hoot. I would love that. But will it happen? Nah. Planet Side 2 doesn't need fishing. Uh... Speaking of fishing, though, um, Guild Wars 2 is getting an expansion in February called End of Dragons, which will prominently feature the addition of fishing for the very first time to that game, which I'm also very interested in. Fishing is something I did a lot of in New World um, over the winter while I was playing that. And uh, it's just, not, it can be... All right, I'll tell one fishing story of why I like fishing in video games. So... One night, I was playing New World with um, my MMO buddy, who I play most MMOs with, and we were pl we were uh, playing with a group of people, and they all kind of broke off and frittered off and did their own thing. But me and my buddy and one other person from our group decided we were going to go try to engage in some world PvP in this zone. So we moved over to this world PvP objective. It's called a fortress. Um if you hold the fortress, you gain certain advantages within the zone, and sometimes globally. And uh, so we went over and we contested the fortress in this other person in this other faction's territory, and we waited for the, the we waited for the faction to come roaring out of the hills to face us and to die in glorious battle. And eventually, we got bored of waiting for people. <laughs> so, but we saw a nearby pond just outside the fort, and. We decided to go hang out at the pond and fish while we waited. And we ended up doing PvP fishing for about an hour, an hour and a half, just sitting, chilling. Every once in a while, a random person from the, the, the home faction would come by and try to grab the fort, and we'd, we'd kill him. But uh, it, that's all it was. And it was a lovely uh, human moment, uh, one of those conversational moments I so love. Anyway, yay fishing. 
Okay, here's a question from Brianna, who asks, what was your biggest personal growth takeaway from your gaming experience in 2021? How has it shaped your thinking and affected your life? Hmm. Here's a question. Here is a good bonker. Let me think. I think that my biggest takeaway from 2021 when it comes to gaming experiences specifically has to be the realization that I have been engaged largely over the last 20 years in a pattern of projecting an unmet need that I have onto the world of video games, specifically multiplayer games that have some kind of virtual worlds like MMOs. And I think that my ability to understand what that need is and meet it in some ways has been delayed by um, an attempt to use video games to scratch those itches. I'm going to be doing, and this is um, kind of referenced with Henry's question a little bit ago. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a podcast episode talking about this specifically, but this was a big moment for me. Um, and it's, it honestly has made me question everything that I do when it comes to video games and online communities and all of it. Um, I had to just go offline for about a week or two when it happened. I'm back, and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for me in the future. I don't know if I'll ever play another MMO again. Because um, I can't unrealize this. How's it shaped my thinking and affected my life? Um, it is in the process of shaping my thinking and affecting my life. And I can't say how it's going to so far. One thing is I finally made space in my life to play a single player game, which I never could do before. Because to me, the idea of engaging with a gaming experience where no one sees me has always seemed like a waste of my time. But why is it that I would need to be seen when playing a video game? Could it be because the only reason I was playing the game was to be seen? And why do I need that so badly? And is gaming really the right way to get that? Kai, I tried to find the stream, but you couldn't. It's still up. You're talking about the stream where this this actually, yeah, so this actually all happened live. I've told the story a couple times. Um, I'm pretty sure the VOD is still on Twitch, but I was so, I was so flabbergasted by this experience that I actually hid the video on Twitch. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can unhide it after this, and I'll, I'll put the link somewhere. Um, but what essentially happened was, and I've told the story a few times, so forgive me if you've heard it. Um, I was playing New World, and I was 
log into the game after weeks and months of having everyone I played with quitting bit by bit and keeping finding new people to play with, keep trying to reinvent the experience, keep trying to get that thing, scratch that itch. And I logged in and just I was like, I just need to get it. I need to get that thing. That that itch needs a good scratch. So I loaded up the game, I turned on my stream, and I just went out into the open world. I'm like, I, I just want to recreate that feeling of like, right when the game is fresh and you're all just going out into the world to experience it. You're not trying to min-max or metagame or get loot. You're just you're just playing in like the most beautiful, pure sense of the word play. Just playing. And I got stomped by a bunch of dudes. Uh, 3v1, 6v1. A bunch of people just not interested in any kind of sporting gameplay whatsoever. They just steamrolled me. And it's not like they were getting anything out of it. They were just doing it because it cost them nothing. Um, and I got really frustrated. And Henry here, uh, who I think is still watching us, um, and asked one of the asked a question earlier about 2022, what's coming up, uh, uh, said something like, uh-oh, I smell a D. Grant podcast coming. And when he said that, that's the moment I had the realization I described. And uh, I, what I said was something like, I'm not, these guys who are ganking me, and who are dicking all over me, filthy orcs, I called them, illiterate orcs, they're not the ones playing the game wrong. It's me. I'm the one playing the game wrong. Because I keep coming here to get something that I know at some level is not really here. And I'm about two or three weeks past that now and trying to figure out what the fuck that even is i think the podcast is one of those things that helps me get in touch with it so the podcast isn't going to go away but what will it be could change it all could change kai wanted to see the epiphany in real time or just show the main bit in your podcast video. yeah I'll, I'll 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 dig that up after this kai happy to share I don't think it's too embarrassing. Although at the time I was mortified. Anyway, thanks Brianna for that great question. Filthy orcs. Yeah, yeah, I did call them filthy orcs. I got pretty tilted, dude. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> okay, next question. Is from Steve O. Who asks, With Wheel of Time Season 1 having come to a close... Do you think the show will succeed long enough to finish the story? How do I feel about the differences from the books? Wheel of Time, epic fantasy. Man, I just got to take a second, though, and just say, like, why I give a shit about Wheel of Time. I haven't talked about it much on, my, on the podcast, but Wheel of Time for me is an epic fantasy series that was there for me at a time in my life where I was really fucking lonely and really lost. After dropping out of college, landing on my parents' doorstep and in, in somewhere in the world where the only way for me to get a job as a young person was to go hiking and tell people where the fuck they can hike. Uh, uh, and look at me. Do I look like, to you like a hike, like, like the hiking type? Yeah, I don't think so. I was lost. And... Robert Jordan and Wheel of Time gave me something to really sink my teeth into and a world to care about that felt really relevant and powerful. 
and I never finished it. It's 14 books long. And I read up to book 10 and then there were no more books for me to read and I put it down and never picked it back up. So with Wheel of Time being announced uh, as a TV show, um, I used it as an excuse to start rereading the series because I wanted to compare the first book to the first season. And then I read the first book and I couldn't stop. And now I'm halfway through book three. Um, and I did watch the TV show. So the question is... Um, do I think the show will succeed long enough to finish the story? I certainly hope it does. One of the things that, that the show is very much doing is it's not trying to do like a shot-for-shot -shot recreation of Wheel of Time, which in some senses is a fucking relief because one of the common complaints about Wheel of Time is the sort of repetitiveness of certain, of certain gestures and words and phrases that happen among the characters in order for Jordan to continue to ground the characters and what he sees is like where they are in their lives at that moment. Like an example would be one of the main characters is a, a female character and she has this, she, she, she has this, this um, very, she's very difficult time with anger and she gets, she flashes to angry very quickly. And one of the things that she does to kind of let people know she's angry, like unconscious is she has a braid and she like tugs on her braid. The amount of braid tugging in this fucking series is just crazy. It's ridiculous. Unconscionable. Um, but what the show is trying to do is trying to understand what the character arcs are and tell those character arcs, but not be attached to the details of how those arcs play out. And um, so they managed to get all of the, of the first book into the first season. Um, and they also managed to pepper in some stuff from later books to get those things kind of rolling. And they added some new story of their own. There's a whole bunch more about Wheel of Time that I could say. And I think I'm going to say in a piece of dedicated content on the podcast later. But I just want to give a little context to people who don't know what Wheel of Time is. Um, do I think the show will succeed long enough to finish the story? I think season one was successful enough for a season two. And I think it'll get at least a few seasons. But the thing about it is at the pace they're going, I think they're going to need at least seven, eight seasons to get through the 14-book series based on how much of it I've read and what I know about how it's paced. And that's a lot of TV. And it's hard for any new series to bank on that much runtime. So I'm going to say in all likelihood, I wouldn't bet on it, even though that makes me sad to admit. And I really hope I'm, I really hope that that analysis is wrong because I love Wheel of Time. And even though the show is very different from the books and that's upsetting in some ways, it also is still Wheel of Time. And it is those characters. Like you see the character on the screen, all you know, they're not doing the same thing or saying the same things as the character in the book. It is that character, like the same soul, the same essence. You believe it. I believe it. And also kind of answers the second question of how do I feel about the differences between the books? Um, there are some things that are very hard for me to let go of. Some really cool scenes. Um, two examples I could think of that aren't very spoilery. Maybe one of them is. Um, well, I'll tell, I'll tell the non-spoiler one anyway. Is um, essentially the start of the book is, oh boy. Uh, let's just put it like this. 
there's one character in the books whose name is Lan. Lan is this badass warrior, and he's parsimonious with his speech and his actions, and he is completely dominant in any kind of physical interaction, and he's scary. And one of the things that early on the book does to solidify that you should be fucking scared of this guy is he goes up against a a demonic creature that no one else can even face and he fucking fights it and chops its head off and then he keeps going and it's like chills it's just like holy shit i cannot believe that happened and that doesn't happen in the, in the tv show and in fact the character the interpretation of the character on the show it leans more into the soft, the soft side of this character that you get to eventually in the book. But it doesn't give that hardness in the way that the book does. So, If you get attached to moments like that, um, you might be disappointed. But if you can detach yourself from the individual moments you loved and just let yourself enjoy a reinterpretation of the characters, then I think it's pretty great. <clears throat> rip land 2021 hey what's up steve speak of the devil <laughs> and i definitely am going to do a, a podcast on wheel of time i just got to get all my shit together uh shuffle also adds uh related back to gaming over the last year i kind of accepted my age and competitiveness in gaming You've reframed from wanting to win to wanting to have fun with winner use. Yeah, I think it, it, it's good to decide where you want to be. What's important is to whatever you do when it comes to gaming, try to be mindful about it. Uh, what sucks is to always feel like what you want is to win um, without being conscious of what it takes to win sometimes. Hi, K-drama version of LAN. What's a K-drama? Korean drama? Kai, are you a Wheel of Time guy too? Anyway, let's see what else we got. Here's another planet-side developer question, although I can make my own prediction. Dog. <laughs> that profile picture. It's beautiful. Asks, is Osher going to be delayed again? If you need to delay it again, please do. Well, I, again, I have no agency over whether Osher is delayed or not. Well, I mean, perhaps a, a very tiny amount. I could, I'm a friend of Ralph's, but beyond that, he doesn't listen to me, nor should he. Is Osher going to be delayed again? It was originally coming out in December, and it's currently slated to come out mid-January. I wouldn't be too surprised to see it slip to the end of January or start of February. Um, selfishly, I hope it doesn't because I got a lot of other gaming to do in February, but, um, you know, things happen and I try not to get too attached to release dates when it comes to video games anymore. <laughs> uh, 
back to the Wheel of Time question. Kai says, watch the series. It was a lot better than you expected. There you go. So many fantasy book adaptations coming out these days, and most are very forgettable. Yeah, I worried about that too, Kai, especially when I saw the trailer for Wheel of Time. I was like, oh no, is this going to be like kind of low budget? Is this going to have really ineffective CG? Like, what are we actually looking at here? But actually, it was where it wasn't impressive, it was always good enough. And it was, and it often was a lot better than it needed to be. So I thought that too. So reflected timing couldn't have been better. Need to get out of bed. Let's go. Get out of bed. Watch those podcasts. Next question. <clears throat> Zakathum asks, why is Cloak arguably the worst gameplay mechanic in existence? Still a thing in Planet Side 2. Getting randomly killed by something you mostly can't defend against is literally the least enjoyable thing I've ever encountered in any game to date. Why is it still a thing? Well, okay. If I were to answer your question literally, I would say, what's the argument to remove it? I think that Removing a big part of a video game is always very hard to do, especially when that said game is almost a decade old. And a lot of people's play patterns are based on the certain parts of it that you want removed. So it's pretty risky to remove something like Cloak. But I can tell you're not asking this question that seriously. I can tell this is a little bit of an event. And because of that, I'm just going to choose to relate to you a little bit. And that invisibility in a, in a video game, especially a first-person shooter is usually pretty uninteresting and often quite frustrating and i sympathize especially in a game like planet side where the scope of the field of combat is continent wide and the ability to um the number of players in the arena are basically not constrained so you could be having a, a wonderful fight happening at a base with 25 people on a side 25 versus 25 and then and then a couple of cloakers show up on the nearby mountain and they just start sniping worst off they might not even be one of the factions involved in the conflict they might just be a a third faction just kind of farming farming sniper kills and being a, being an annoyance that shit sucks <laughs> um but the sniper fantasy is just one of those enduring tropes in first person shooters i think it's pretty hard to avoid it So yeah, that's what I think about Pokey and Planet Side 2. Me, I'm a jetpack guy. I want to fly. There's still some Wheel of Time chat going on here. Um, Kai asked, did I see the one on Netflix with the Eurasian girl in the big shadow wall going through a continent? Uh, you expected Wheel of Time to be like that. No, I did not see that, Kai, but I think I know the kind of thing you're talking about. Like I, I understand like kind of schlocky fantasy. Ryan says, I can't detach Rosamund Pike from Gone Girl. Makes it hard to watch. Rosamund Pike is awesome. She is fucking great in Wheel of Time. Um, it's interesting because I think she's also a producer on the show. And they, they actually, one of the big changes in season one was they, they gave her a, oh, how can I not spoil this? Um, Something happened to her character in season one that doesn't happen in the story in the books, at least not this early. Um, I don't remember a lot of the later book stuff. 
And it's going to give her something to do in the next season, which in the books, if you follow them faithfully, she doesn't have a lot to do in the books. So I think they are also finding ways to make sure that the headliners always have something to do in most episodes. Because uh, Wheel of Time is the first few books of Wheel of Time are not, they don't do the best job of being a great ensemble drama. They really focus on, on a few characters. It, it broadens over time. I'm glad that there are a bunch of people here that are really um, into Wheel of Time because I'm excited to talk about it more. Also, Ryan, like, how are you, dude? I feel like we haven't talked in ages. Steve O says, IMO sniping is a worse gameplay mechanic than cloaking, but you've never played Planetside. Well, imagine combining both. <laughs> Planetside's amazing, Steve. You should play it. And come play with me sometime. I'll show you the ropes. Kaya, like late teens fantasy fiction, super popular to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go to the next question. Okay. This is a Guild Wars 2 question from Flap Jackson, who asks, cool. Well, my question would be, what parts of End of Dragons, the Guild Wars 2 expansion coming out next month, are you most interested in focusing on? And do you have plans for any more podcast dev interviews like the Splendid Cameron one? I interviewed Cameron Rich last year. He's an encounter designer on Guild Wars 2. Cameron is an awesome dude. I love Cameron. Um, if you're interested in game development and like the bullshit, and eh, bullshit's not, not, not the right word, but what, what it's like being a developer behind the scenes, that Cameron Rich interview, I can't recommend it more. He's a great dude with a really cool story. Totally check that out. Um, really love Cam. But what parts of End of Dragons am I most interested in focusing on? And do I have plans for more podcast dev interviews? Well, as as an individual gamer, I think it's, I think that my answer to for this is going to be a little disappointing. Um, I tend to feel with Guild Wars Two that the parts of the, the its experience that are the most the most salient, um, the most interesting, and the most unique among its uh, among similar experiences, and that keep me kind of motivated to log in a lot of the time are the amazing drop-in open world experiences that it has um one of the times for me that i was most thrilled to play guild wars 2 was in 2015 and 16 um during the heart of thorns expansion which did an amazing job of introducing these expansion zones that were built around these massive meta events and you would be in the map for an hour and doing all these events that said that that that, that, that kind of with these npcs in the world solving problems and pushing along this this overall um conflict that would uh get to a head and result in this amazing amazing climactic confrontation um one of the maps dragon stand is just like i don't think there's anything in mmo games that is like dragon stand you go down these three lanes dealing with all these bosses and conflicts and you have to all come together all three lanes at the end to fight this immense, like, like snake-like dragon on these platforms. And uh, it's, it's just, the spectacle of it is so cool and so impressive. Um, and that's the part of Guild Wars 2 that I find the most engaging. And what made the Heart of Thorns stuff um, impressive also wasn't just the, um, it wasn't just that content, but it was, the kind of relevant rewards you could pursue from that content. Because at that time, 
Um, Guild Wars 2 finally made a certain game gameplay style built around doing condition damage, like bleeds and burns and poisons. Just a few months before Heart of Thorns, they kind of updated their game to make it so those builds were actually viable. And they put a whole bunch of gear into the expansion that that fleshed out those modes. And so not only were you experiencing this new content, but you were unlocking this new way to play all the content in the game at the same time. And the you were also unlocking gliding and the ability to fly through the world. And that progression was so grindy and long that you were always working on something with a really cool result. And that time was probably the also it's also the time I was playing with my wife. So I'm that really colors it in a positive way. Um, but I what I want for End of Dragons is something like that. Because I think that that is the content that most people probably enjoy the most. Is the stuff where you just kind of run into an amazing thing happen and then you are playing with a bunch of people and maybe you even make some friends and you see him again. Um, that is like such good stuff when it, when it can happen in a video game. And um, the fact that Guild Wars 2 manages to do that with a good sense of scale and spectacle is so always always impresses me so much um so but so that's for me personally like selfishly individually now if i could like um say what i'm most interested in focusing on like there's also a level of this that i'm interested in like on a community level because I'm cognizant that the the play patterns of one person aren't necess isn't necessarily the most interesting question to answer. I think a more interesting question to answer could be like, what is what what would End of Dragons, if it were its its best version of itself, focused on the most? And I think if I were going to answer that question, I would need to incorporate what I just said, and also add in um, some kind of love for um, the high-end scenes. And I know it's hard to do both those things. I know it's really hard to do both those things. But uh, Guild Wars 2, uh, one of the things about these online communities that is so clear to me is that it's it's really true that the, the scene of creators that form an online community are a very tiny percentage of its players speaking to a slightly larger but still very very small percentage of players i saw this great kind of maxim on a de on a developer blog that suggested that 80 percent of all people who engage with a video game never engage with it outside the game itself and i think for guild wars 2 that is particularly true most people don't watch twitch they don't watch youtube they're not on reddit they're not on forums they're not browsing builds they're just logging into play, and then when they're done, they're done. So that suggests that it's not good to focus on those small numbers, right? No. No. Because that small number of people have a powerful way of shaping the message about your game. And if you look at Final Fantasy, you can see that in action. Look at the way the people who love that game on the creator side and on the side content side have changed the story about Final Fantasy and helped shape its success, have amplified its its image in the, the, the gamer sphere. And because of that's importance, um, I think the scenes of players that do things like organized raids that really want uh, that really want some kind of a really interesting 
fun, uh, difficult, organized group PvE experience. Um, also, th th and they don't only want to have that with the expansion, but they want to have an expectation of more of that content arriving in the future. I really want that. And I also want um, something similar for the PvP and World vs. World folks. Now, World vs. World is going to get very interesting because of um, the new alliance system, which is going to change a lot, I think. I think it's enough for World vs. World to be working on that right now. That's a huge rock for Guild Wars 2. PvP, I have no idea. Um, and that's mainly just because I've never felt drawn to 5 versus 5 PvP and MMO games. Um, I can't find a good reason to care about it personally, but that doesn't mean it's not good and a lot of people don't love it. So that's uh, a long-winded answer to that question, Flap Jackson. <clears throat> Sir Reflected saying that they had a lot of more playtime during Heart of Thorns and metas were awesome. Yep. And also, while that was going on in Heart of Thorns, like Guild Wars 2 was coming out of this like baby stage, right? Where it was Living World Season 1, Living World Season 2, and then it grew up with the expansion. It was like, oh yeah, things are happening. Guild Wars 2 is going places and the raids were coming out. And that's that's the sense that End of Dragons, that I want for End of Dragons. And it's a lot to ask for, but that's that's what I look for and hope for. Orion, I did not catch Arcane. Shuffle says, Arena FPS needs more gamers. Come play if you don't like exclusive sniping. Okay. Yeah. Arena FPS always could use more gamers. Big true. What do we got next? Okay. Uh, another question from, from Anolf, which which I allowed. Uh, I think this is the last of the questions we had before the Q&A started. And then we'll get into the the, the viewer questions y'all have been uh, putting into the chat. Uh, yeah, Anolf asks, uh, what other people do you have lined up for the next couple of deep talks? I guess I kind of answered this um, with the Henry question, but... Um, I think we'll be talking to Rel pretty soon, and um, probably if you will see some returning or possibly new faces from the planet side and Guild Wars creator scenes. Um, nothing for sure yet, but um, it's out there. Um, I'm really hoping to get some of the Guild Wars 2 developers, like I mentioned, back on, and also I um, I am really trying to figure out what expanding my roster of, of guests looks like. Um, who else would want to talk to me? Maybe people who aren't even gamers. Um, as y'all can tell, I have a broad set of interests and I love talking to people. So I'm, I'm, I want to challenge myself and I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, I have a few very like bucket list type interview requests that have gone out in the last few months. And if one of those comes through, I will let y'all know. I'll be tickled to death that, uh, stay tuned. That's really all I can say right now. Oh, okay. So now we have the viewer questions. Let me figure out how to pull those in. One second. It's not beautiful, but it's functional. <laughs> okay. Afflicted doing a cast with Kamikaze would be sweet. Yeah, I'd love to talk to Kamikaze again. He's a great dude. Uh, Aaron Barnath. 
uh, asked, how do I feel towards podcasting and producing as a whole versus playing video games as a whole? Like what different emotions do they bring you and what do they look like for your future? Hmm. Let me think about this. It's pretty broad. Well, podcasting for me was an answer to a question. And that question was, what can I do to make gaming more fun and more meaningful to me? And right now, like I mentioned on a previous question or two, the meaning I get from video games right now is very much up in the air. Um, gaming Games give me a break, you know, a rest from the real world. They give me inspiration. Um, they give me connection. Um, podcasting is something that I have loved doing because what it does is it it makes me get my ideas out there. It makes me work on myself. It makes it, it challenges me to not just consume the world, but to be a part of the world. Um, yeah, Kai, just drop the question in the chat. I will add it to the bottom of the, the document here. So that's that's kind of what the, those two things get me, I think, right now. And for my future, you know, because because both these things are a means to an end, I'm not attached with podcasting or gaming as something I'll do forever. Um, it's hard to imagine letting go of either right now, but uh, there could be a future version of Deeg that doesn't have time for podcasting because he's doing bigger and better things. And and I, I hope if that does happen that it's because I'm, you know, up in light somewhere and and the podcast is is uh become a little bit of a of a a backwater, as it uh, as you could say. But I also kinda hope that doesn't happen because I love doing this and I like being directly connected to y'all. But um, as my first my future goes, one of the, the funny questions here is like, how do I reconcile the fact that I love doing this and the fact that I get paid to do something else? I have a day job, you know, y'all know that. And this is like a weekend project for me, for the most part. I do have dreams of growing it past the weekend project status, but what does that mean for my, my day job? And can I get these things closer over the years? I've managed to move my work more in the direction of what I'm doing here. I used to be very much sit in the back room, technical guy, engineering type. And now I'm much more front of house, dealing with clients, talking to people type. But it's still dealing with someone else's software at the end of the day. And, um, you know, business to business, that kind of stuff. And as gratifying as that work can be and as difficult and challenging and rewarding as it can be and as well paid as it can be i think the same as having direct contact with people out there just trying to figure out how to do their lives just like i am struggling together um to do something that's more personal and uh has the ultimate salience of being about the self anyway i hope that's Oh, that's something somewhat satisfactory, Aaron, as far as the answers go. That's all that occurs to me at the moment. Okay. <clears throat> what else we got? 
This is from Sazma. Who asks, if I could have co-written or written any song, what would it be, what song would it be? So I guess this is going to be a song that I really, I really love and identify with in some way. Ah, oh, God. I think one of the funniest and most fun songs I've ever heard is, um, what is it called? Has the guy yodeling? What is it called? But focus. Focus. I think it's called Foc Hocus Pocus. Yes. A song called Hocus Pocus by the band Focus. It is so goofy and so beautiful. Uh, it always puts an enormous smile on my face anytime I hear it. Um, <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be it. I think that would be it. <laughs> okay. What about you? Uh, another question from Aaron. Um, he says, I should read this book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Matthew Walker. That name is familiar. Let me look that name up. I feel like I know that person. Yeah, okay. So I've seen Joe Rogan's interview with Matthew Walker. And I think he talked about this book. Um. Actually, uh, Matthew Walker is the reason I started getting into my daily walking habit again. Because um, he said something on one of the podcasts he'd been on about how um, one of the best things you can do for sleep is get at least 150 minutes of vigorous physical activity in every single week. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. Because... At that point, my sleep was really fucked. <laughs> and I was I was exhausting myself every day just by not sleeping enough. And it helped. And it helped a lot of things. Uh, thoughts on caffeine and other very important topics on sleep? Another question. Do I recommend any books? Well, we've been talking about Wheel of Time quite a lot. Um, I guess I would hope to clarify this question about what kind of books... Are you interested in? Um, if you're interested in sci-fi fantasy and you want a one-off, I think Dune is one of the best books you can read. Um, and it can be hard to get through. Um, and it took me multiple tries to get through it. But if you can sit with it and, it's, and if you can think about what it's saying, it's a beautiful and incredible book. If you're looking for something to dive into for hours and weeks and months, Wheel of Time, of course, and uh, a recommendation that I make with some trepidation, but I just have to be honest to the fact that it actually it actually helped me change my life at a time where at a time where I needed to transform it in some way was um, Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life um, back in 2017 when my my um relationship with my wife was changing my, my relationship with work was changing um and i had an hour and a half every single day to kill because i was taking the bus to and from work i heard about it and i downloaded it and i listened to it on an audiobook and that book helped me see see the world in a lot of different ways um and saying that an acolyte of peterson um i still think he he is an 
he has some really cool insights that help me have helped me a lot. Um, but uh, that's probably another discussion altogether. Those are a handful of books that I found to be important or interesting to me personally. I'll admit that in the last in the last decade, my ability to just plow through books has really diminished. Um, in my teens and twenties, I used to devour books. I probably read sixty or seventy Star Wars books uh, back in the day, but um, as soon as social media entered my life, it just started crowding other stuff out. I'm bringing it back in slowly, but it's a process. Okay. So now we have, uh, okay, we have another question from Kai. Let's copy paste that so everyone can see it. Here's a question. Kai asks, you're friends with a lot of different people from different sides of the gaming landscape, from low-skill casual players to skilled hardcore ones to develop developers. Is it, is it difficult to manage these relationships in a gaming world where everyone seems to be increasingly divided depending on which subculture they fit into? Hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting one. One of the things I have despaired of most in my experience in online communities is a tendency to, a tendency over time for players who enjoy the same things about a given video game experience to sort of group up and then face off against groups of players who enjoy the game in different ways. And because these people enjoy the games in different ways, they think it should change in different ways have different opinions about the way things go. Um, what is going on here? So I've despaired about those divisions many times in the past, and I've talked about them a lot. And a big part of the reason you've heard me talk to people on both divides is because I would hope, I've hoped for them to reconcile. Just before this conversation, Kai, you were alluding to this at the start of the, the Q&A. Um, I was watching a podcast um, on, on Baddie's Twitch channel. Baddie QL, check him out, follow him. Uh, really, really solid dude. And... Uh, hosting kind of a, a discussion of some of the more hardcore planet side players in that scene. And I've had folks from that scene, from that side of the scene on, and uh, Lex is kind of the one who stands out. And I think what I found from everyone who I've spoken to on any side of any divide is that everyone has a good reason that makes sense to them to feel what they feel and think what they think. And everyone is trying to get something out of the experience. And I think sometimes, especially in online communities that age or that are together for a long amount of time, I guess it's the same thing. 
But there tends to be, over time, this sense of there being a zero-sum problem. A, a need to compete over resources or attention in some way, over mind share, for what philosophy and approach within the community or within the, the gaming world are the most relevant and important. And that results in these kinds of little, little online battles, wars and skirmishes that break out. And I think that one of the things the podcast has really taught me is that what you get out of video games is not zero-sum. And what you get out of these communities is not zero-sum. And that kind of zero-sum way of thinking, it comes from a sense of... It comes from a sense of helplessness. And I have an enormous amount of sympathy for that. And I am convinced that the way to, I think that the best way I can interact with that is to hear it and to help whatever people feel come out and be the best version of whatever it is that needs to come out. And that's why you'll hear me talk to people who would disagree with each other over the dinner table. But is it difficult for me to manage those relationships? Actually, no. Because the thing that is universal for me with every single person I connect to is a, is, is a deep desire to get to know the person. And for me, the, the person who I interview and have friendships with, they're not, they're not, hard, they're not elitists, they're not casuals, they're people. And I think as people, we're kind of all on the same side. And we're not living in a zero-sum world. And I guess I'm something of an optimist in that sense. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the answer to the question. Thanks, Kai. I appreciate that question a lot. Something I think about a lot. And uh, that is the last question. This is really fun. This is really fun. It's a new year. Boys, girls, and bots. A new year full of new possibilities. I really, after tripping over the realization at the end of last year that I did, I'm slowly emerging into a sense of real hopefulness. Not, not, not just for the world, but for myself. You know, on, on the one side of the realization that you've been circling the drain for 20 years is the understanding that you don't have to anymore. And there is such a, such a sense of relief that accompanies that. 
something about this year feels like the first year of the rest of my life. And there's a lot that goes with that, you know. And it, video games is just a part of it. I hope you all are as excited about this year as I am. In fact, I would love to hear personally, you know, DMs, comments. I would love to hear from y'all what you're working on this year. Something you're excited about, even if it's playing a video game. That can be that can be worth that can be enough, you know. Um, and I just want to thank y'all for hanging out with me, chucking me your questions at me, and I like this enough that I think I will probably do it again. Yeah. I'm Deeg. This is the Deeg Podcast. And I will be back very, very soon. Good night. Godspeed. Much love to y'all.